Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday. This now, our second Sunday in 2015. Our lives somewhat got back into routine and order this past week. And yet, we're done with Christmas break. We are back in the swing of things. Yet Sunday remains the same for us. Something that we are committed to, that we might be yours. That we might hear and learn about who you are, what you're like, how you relate to us, deal with us, connect with us, respond to us. And so we're here. And Father, all of that in the sweetness of fellowship with other believers, the encouragement that comes through other people, and the worship through song, and the giving of our, our offering... takes a back seat to the preaching of the Word. God, we know that Your Word is truth. And it gives life. And it is powerful and living and active. And so, Father, we are here today to commit ourselves to Your Word. And we ask that You would commit Yourself to us. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. It's been a while since we have been steady in a book because we finished Exodus and Thanksgiving was approaching, so we went topical and then we went uh, some Christmas sermons through December. And then the last one of December, I preached on our church mission statement. And the first one of 2015, we preached on our church's core values But now we're past all that. I've been eager for some time to get into a book. That's where we are. We are going to start now 1 Peter. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a Bible yet, then you can use the Pew Bible there in front of you. And I believe it's page 1112, 1112, I believe, is 1 Peter. We're going to be here for quite some time. I'm going to be in no hurry. This is a short book with only five chapters. Uh, You can start reading this at home if you're not already reading other things. We're going to be in 1 Peter for a while. I want to uh, be a good faithful preacher to you all. And over the next several weeks and months, I want to explain to you everything that God says in the book of 1 Peter. And that may take some time. Today, we're only going to cover verse 1. Okay? Uh, But we're going to keep going week after week through 1 Peter. And I want us to grow in this. I want you to grow in understanding the Word of God. I want to give you a little bit about what what happened in my life. I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. I've told you all that story many times. We visited a church and the people followed up with us and they shared the gospel with us. They told me about Jesus. It was was not then that I believed, but it was sometime after that um, that we were at another church event uh, and I heard them talk about Jesus dying and a need for people to be saved and that our sins could be forgiven if we would repent and believe. And so... I did that, and I responded to God's call, and ever since then, I have been a believer and follower of Jesus since I was 12. But I was not raised to read the Bible. Um, I don't have any memories of my mom and dad reading the Bible with me or or teaching the Bible to me. They they may have, um, but I don't remember it, which makes me think that if we did, it was very minimal. Um, But there was a time, I think about when I was 16, I think that a lot of that has to do with the me changing churches and finding a church that was faithful to, to disciple me, to commit me to the Word of God. Um, there was a time in my life 
where the Bible became real and mighty and powerful to me. And uh, I really want y'all to hear that the Bible did that itself to me. I got around the Bible and I started reading the Bible. I started hearing people uh, preach the Bible and teach the Bible. And, and me being a believer, the Bible be- kind of became to me this awesome treasure of, of knowledge and wisdom and, and truth. And the more I grew as a Christian, and the more I grew in my understanding of the Word, the more I was coming to understand this. The Bible became to me in many ways the most important thing. So that by the time that I was, say, 18, 19, 20 years old, I I knew that this was the most valuable thing in the world to me. Not not literally the, the leather and paper that I'm holding, but what God is saying. I knew that God had spoken and I wanted to get to know it better and better and better. I understand there's many people out there who aren't like that. But I want you to know that I think and I believe that that's the way the Word of God is. It is God's Word to us and it is powerful and we are to know it. And if we're not interested in it yet or we don't know it yet, we should try and watch God work at us to reveal this to us and work this in our hearts. One of the ways that we do this as a church is we want to let the Word of God do the speaking. I don't think that I am able to say anything that's going to change your life. I don't think, now there are some people out there that are really, really gifted and entertaining. I don't think that I am even that way. I've yet to get a call from some organization for me to be a motivational speaker because I'm just so good at it. I don't think that's the case either. But I do think that if we stand up here week after week and explain what the Bible says, then it doesn't matter so much how well it's presented, yet if it is presented, then God will cause us to understand what He's like. And so one of the ways we go about that is we pick a book, technically this is called expository preaching, and we go through it verse by verse. And that's what we're going to do with 1 Peter. 1 Peter is an awesome book. There are two letters in the New Testament written by Peter. You know that there are 27 books in the New Testament. 66 books in the whole Bible. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. The New Testament's shorter, 27. And it kind of goes like this. Listen to me. The first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're really just four different accounts. Four different people telling their story about who Jesus is and who Jesus was and what Jesus did. That's the Gospels. Then you have this one book that kind of stands by itself called the book of Acts, which is where after After Jesus left earth and ascended up into heaven, then Jesus' followers, the apostles, took over at preaching and spreading the message to the whole world. After the book of Acts, the sixth book of the New Testament is Romans. And from there, you have all of these different letters, lots of letters in the rest of the New Testament. Letters written to people and letters written to churches. That's all it is. Very simple. Four books, the Gospels. One book, the book of Acts, that's kind of like a history book about what happened after Jesus left. And then from there, it's a bunch of letters written by one person to either another person or to churches. That's all you have. Well, in 1 Peter, we have two books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, that are written by Peter to Christians. 
And what we're going to see as we keep going through this, that he's, he's written to Christians that are suffering under persecution and hardship and the difficulty of what it means to be a Christian. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know that life is hard. I do know that life is hard. We have a lady in our church that had a stroke this week who is still in the hospital and unable to be visited because she's not doing well and she's not able to talk. The stroke has affected her so much that she's not able to talk right now. That's hard. And I do know that many of you are going through some hardships, some health problems, some family problems that are weighing you down. In many ways, First and Second Peter are books for you. They want to deal with the hardships of life. But First Peter also is dealing directly with people who are struggling with persecution. Meaning, they are facing physical um, action, abuse, hardship against them because they are committed to Jesus. That's what persecution is. Persecution is not that your co-worker doesn't like you because you're a UK fan. That's not persecution. Persecution is because of your commitment and faith to the Lord Jesus and the Word of God, people are physically against you. You may have heard this week of the worst terrorist attack that we've known of in Nigeria by Boko Haram terrorists. Went into a town and killed 2,000 people in Nigeria. 2,000. There are about a thousand students that go to Fairdale High School. And it's packed. If you've ever tried to be at Fairdale High School at about 2.30 when they let out there at the front doors, there are kids everywhere. If you were to talk to uh, faculty and staff administrators about how many students are there, they'd say there's kids everywhere. A thousand kids is a lot. And this one attack that just happened this week in Nigeria by the terrorist group Boko Haram, they killed 2,000 they said that their attempt was to literally wipe away the entire town. And I think they almost did. Now that's persecution. Persecution is when somebody says, you're a Christian and I don't like it and I'm going to do something to you. Peter has written, 1 Peter, to people who are dealing with that. Peter has written this letter to people who are having to set up their entire lives around. I hope there's more to life than life itself. And I want to ask you here today, if you, as a human being, as a man or woman, and as a believer in God, if you are, are aware and living your life established on the truth, that life on earth is simply temporary and that there is more after this. I want to ask you if you know, if you believe that heaven and hell are real places and that is where you will spend the far, 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 far majority of your existence. If you live for a hundred years here, that's a long time but it is hardly anything in light of eternity. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years.
in heaven or hell. Peter is written to people who have come to know that's reality. And so whatever I'm going through here, I must learn to deal with off the strength of knowing I can be God's forever. God will take care of me forever. This is what 1 Peter is. It's a letter written to people who are trusting in and anchoring their souls upon the hope of God forever. Before we get into Peter, though, I want to give a little bit more introduction. I want to remind you who Peter is. Peter's a really well-known character in the New Testament. We would say that the three most common people in the New Testament are Jesus, Peter, and Paul. The whole Bible's about Jesus. Every single bit of it from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. Jesus is God and He is what the whole Bible is about. But the characters that are in the New Testament, Peter and Paul, are also very well known. Peter is the one in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who is a follower of Jesus, who in the book of Acts is a preacher and leader of the apostles in the spreading of the Gospel. Paul is also that. But he comes on after. He comes in onto the scene in the book of Acts after Jesus is gone. And most of the letters in the New Testament are written by Paul. Not many, only two are written by Peter. Let me remind you a little bit of who Peter was. Peter wasn't his name at first. His name was Simon. Or in another language, Cephas or Kepha, depending on how you want to pronounce it. That was his name. But you remember early in the Gospels when Jesus came onto the scene and started His ministry about age 30, Jesus went around and hand-plucked certain people to be His followers. Jesus went to the sea that day and found two brothers, Peter and Andrew, fishing. And Jesus went to them and said, come follow Me. And the Bible says that Peter and Andrew, those two brothers, dropped their nets, left everything they had, and they followed Him. Well, on that day, His name was Simon. But it was later on that we have Jesus telling Him, from now on, I will call you Peter. Jesus often did that. He often started calling somebody something different. Now, we don't want to make too much out of that, but there is a little bit of symbolism in that if you have changed on the inside, there's a little bit of change on the outside, even the way you might be referred to. Paul used to be Saul. We know him as Paul once Jesus saved him. Now, his name became Simon Peter. Peter's did, and many people called him Simon Peter. But that's who Peter is. You know about Peter, I think. Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the twelve. As I told you, he was just called. Peter is the one that most people identify with because Peter is the one who was so outspoken. Peter is the one who would often put his foot in his mouth. Peter is the one who was a fisherman, so he was blue-collar, he was hard-working. Peter was married. Peter was tough. Peter was a good guy, somebody that you and I can connect with. Peter is the one... When Jesus, the night before uh, he was arrested, during the Last Supper, when Jesus started washing their feet, they knew that Jesus was God. And Jesus gets up from the dinner table and he grabs a bucket of water and he grabs a towel and he gets down on his knees and is going to start washing their dirty feet. They didn't have uh, socks and shoes that they were wearing, so they're probably wearing sandals, dirty feet. Jesus starts washing the feet and Peter is the one who says, no, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to. 
Peter was aware that it was so lowly and so humble for Jesus, his Lord, to come and wash his feet. Peter says, no, you're not going to do that. That's Peter. Peter's one who speaks up in moments like that. Although Jesus told him that he needed to and he had to, and then if he didn't let him wash his feet, then he's not going to be able to wash any of him, including his heart and his sins. Peter says, fine, go ahead, wash every bit of me. Peter is the one, when they were in the boat that night, crossing the sea, and they got scared, Jesus, trying to beat them to the other side, goes walking on the water. See, Jesus is God and He's able to walk on water. And you've heard that before. Peter is the one, while it says that they first saw and thought it was a ghost, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's not a ghost, it's me. Peter's the one who jumps out of the boat and starts walking on water himself for just a few steps. But then the Bible says that Peter got scared and he saw the waves. And it says, which is to teach us some imagery, it says he took his eyes off Jesus. And so he started to sink. I'm not preaching on that passage today, but if you feel like you're sinking, perhaps you've taken your eyes off Jesus. But that's Peter. Peter's the one who's willing to jump out of the boat and just go walk on the water. Peter's the one who says, I'm safe here in a boat, and there goes a man walking on the water. I'm going after him. That's how Peter thought. That was Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' inner three with James and John. Jesus had his 12 followers that he was investing everything in, but then he didn't have three that he was even closer to. And those three, one day, Jesus took up on a mountain, and we have the transfiguration. Jesus showed those three, Jesus, God, and all of his glory on the mountain. He even called up two others, Moses and Elijah, and they came uh, from heaven and met there with them on the mountain. We call that the transfiguration and showed them the glory. Peter is the one who was, is one of the ones who was there. It was Peter who also said, this is awesome. Let's stay here. Peter says, can I just build tents for all of us and let's just live here? That was Peter. That's how Peter was. Peter's also the one who, when Jesus was talking about his death coming, Jesus often predicted that they were going to come and get him and abuse him and they were going to to, uh, take him and arrest him and that they were going to kill him. Jesus had told them that he was going to die. Jesus had told them that he was going to come back to life after he died. Jesus had said that. And there was one time where Jesus was telling that to Peter. This is in Matthew chapter 16 where Peter says, No, no, that's not going to happen to you. We're not going to let that happen to you. Nobody's ever going to hurt you, Jesus. That's how Peter talked. He was a bold, strong, confident leader. But you might remember this passage. When Peter said that to Jesus, you know what Jesus turned and said to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus talked to Peter that way. Because, folks, Jesus came to die. And if Jesus came to die, He wasn't going to let anything stop Him from dying. Not even His good friend and follower, faithful leader, Peter. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, if Peter's trying to stop Jesus from dying. Peter didn't understand. But that's Peter, always speaking up, always putting his foot in his mouth, being rebuked. That's Peter. Peter, again, is one of the apostles. When they are sent out, Peter is one of the twelve that is sent out by Jesus to go and reach the world the way that Jesus has come to reach the world. Peter is the one who boldly proclaims to Jesus that I will never deny you. 
I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I will lay my life down for you, he says. Jesus reminds him that he cannot put stock in his own faithfulness. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Please do not have your life set up on your own faithfulness. Please do not have your life in eternity set up on how good you are. That's what Peter did, and in many ways Peter is. Peter says, I'll die for you. I'll do anything for you. And Jesus says, no. You cannot trust in your own self. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says, no way, I'll never deny you. Yet that next day when they come and arrest Jesus and they take Him away from His people and they're abusing Him and they're taking Him to trial and they're beating Him up and they're making fun of Him so that His followers, the disciples, are like, what in the world? Our leader is, is, is being taken away. They're going to kill Him. Peter then follows to see what's happening to Jesus, but three different times. People say, hey, you, you're with Him. You're one of His followers. And three times Peter says, no, I'm not. One time Peter says, no, I don't even know who that man is. Peter denies him. For all the great things that we know about Peter in in the Gospels, we know that horrible time where Peter denies him. Denies him. In the hearing of Jesus, denies him three times. That's Peter. We know that after Jesus died, they buried Jesus in the grave. You know that. He died on a Friday. They buried him on a Friday. And it says that on that Sunday morning, the third day, some of the ladies were going to the tomb to take some spices. When they got there, the stone had been rolled away. And an angel tells them, he's not here. He's risen. The New Testament tells us that the ladies didn't want to go in the tomb So they went back to tell the disciples, those who are closest to Jesus. When they get back to the disciples and they tell those that Jesus is not there, maybe somebody has taken Him, something has happened, but the angel says He's alive. The stone that is not able to be moved has been rolled away. Jesus is alive. The Bible says that John and Peter, the two leading disciples, took off running. Literally sprinting to the tomb. Imagine if your leader who had died is now alive, you would sprint too. And they're sprinting. And in a neat little tidbit of info, it says that John outran him. John was faster than Peter. Church history tells us that Peter was bald and stocky and doesn't necessarily look like an athletic man. John beat him to the tomb. But then the the Bible tells us that John got there but wouldn't go in. When Peter catches up and gets there, he goes straight in to the tomb. Peter was bold like that, brave like that. Peter, in many ways, was fearless like that to just go ahead, not really worrying about the consequences. I'll walk on water. Oh, I can't walk on water. I'm drowning in the water, that type of guy. I'll go in the tomb. Who knows what I'm about to find there, but I'm going in. Tells us that Peter was like that. Peter was the very first one to go in the tomb and find the linen cloths where Jesus was no longer there. That's Peter. That's what Peter was like. Peter is the one that I've mentioned to you several times because I so love this passage. Peter is the one where they're in the garden and, and, and they're praying and it's the night before Jesus is killed. They're praying in the garden, or at least Jesus is, and it says that an army of soldiers with torches, 
lanterns and weapons come up. An army of soldiers come into that garden where Jesus' disciples are praying. It's kind of like a a dark, secluded place. People wouldn't think to find anybody there. But remember, Judas had betrayed Jesus. And so Judas went to the bad guys, if you will, the army of soldiers, and told them where Jesus often prays. And so they come to to find Him. And so they, they travel there and they get there. And when Jesus sees them with all of their weapons, Jesus stands up and says, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, that's me. So they're coming to arrest Jesus. Well, when they're arresting Jesus, which they do arrest Jesus, they they bind Him up and they take Him with them. They're going to kill Him. It is Peter who comes out of nowhere with his sword, draws his sword, and slices the man's ear off, the Bible says. That's Peter. He's been with Jesus for three years at this point. He understands a whole lot about Jesus. Many of those other stories that I've just told you had already happened, and yet Peter still is wanting to fight for Jesus in a physical, uh, fleshly sense. Jesus turns around to Peter and says, What are you doing, Peter? Do you not want me to die and suffer the wrath of God? Do you not want me to? In other words, I've got to die for people's sins. If we fight here and we beat all of them up and defeat everybody, which Jesus could do, if we do that, there is no redemption. There's nobody dying for your sins. And there is no way, folks, that you or me or them or anybody else are going to be right with God, forgiven of our sins, if God does not come and do work for us on the cross for our sins. There is no salvation apart from Jesus dying on the cross. No, not none. And this is why David Platt, the new president of the International Mission Board, says there that we ought to do anything to get this message to people throughout the world because if people don't hear this message, they will never be right with God. The message of getting right with God is not based off of what we do. It is based off what God has done in Jesus. And so until somebody hears what Jesus has done for them on the cross and they believe that and commit their life to that by repenting of their sins, they will never be right with God. And this is why our mission statement says we exist to tell this message, to proclaim Jesus. We must understand that. You must understand that. Peter came to understand this. We don't want to pull out swords and try to kill people who say something bad about Jesus. We don't want to pull out swords and try to kill people who are doing something against Jesus. We want to tell them that that Jesus who died is the very way you can get right with God. This is the Peter who just days after Jesus had risen from the grave, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, no, Peter, do you love me? He asks him a second time. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, Peter, a third time, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. You know all things. It's like Jesus was giving Peter his moment to be restored. He had just denied him three times before he died and rose But now after he had risen, Jesus bringing a a fullness to him in redemption, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter declares, yes, you know I do, all three times. Jesus then tells Peter to go and feed the sheep. 
He tells Peter to go and be a person who takes the truth of the Word of God, takes the truth of the message of God, takes the truth of of the gospel-saving message of Jesus, take that to people and feed them with it, give it to them, give it to them, give it to them, and he did. As soon as the gospel's in, the book of Acts starts, and immediately in the book of Acts, you have the apostles going out preaching. And the very first sermon that we have is this Peter in Acts chapter 2. And the very thing he says... To them is what had been happened to him. This Jesus who you killed died for you. You killed him thinking that you were doing away with him, but what's really happening is God is offering up him, killing him for you and for your sins. The very thing that Peter had learned in a grace moment from Jesus where Peter draws his sword and cuts off the guy's ear and Jesus rebukes him and says, Peter, what are you doing? I've got to die for, under the wrath of God for your sins. That very thing that Peter learned there, Peter was able to say back to them. He didn't go to the lost world and say, we're going to kill all y'all if y'all don't believe in Jesus. He says, this Jesus that you hate, that you killed, God was actually killing through you for your sins. If you would believe in Him and repent and say, God, forgive me of my sins, you can be His, forgiven, right with Him. That's what Peter preached. It says that very first day, that very first sermon, that 3,000 people were saved. We have the beginning of the book of Acts. We have the beginning of of the disciples going out and reaching the whole world and people becoming believers in Jesus. Think about it. Just 2,000 years ago, there was nobody here preaching Jesus. The gospel has spread that quickly. It's in Fairdale, Kentucky, because from that moment, it spread out. That's Peter. That's Peter, the apostle of Jesus that you and I can identify with so much. Read with me, if you will, in Peter, starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I want to stop there for today. Explain a little bit. They write letters differently than we do. When I write a letter to you all, I say, Dear, and then I name you, and then I end it with, Sincerely, Josh. That's how we write letters. They did a little bit differently. They write their name first, Peter. That means he's writing this. And then he says who it's to, to those who are elect exiles of those areas. Peter writes this. I've already told you that. Peter only makes one little statement about who he is. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He could have said many things. We studied this week in the book of Jude what Jude says about himself. He tells everybody that he was a servant of Jesus in Jude. And he tells everybody he's also the brother of James. You could say whatever you want when you're identifying yourself. Peter chooses here to just say an apostle. Because he's writing a letter that will be the Word of God and he wants people to know that on an apostle's level, what he says, God is saying. You and I are to read this and know that Peter wrote it, but we're to understand what the Bible teaches us, that it was written by Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the inspired Word of God. And so whatever we read here in the next five chapters is indeed from the mouth of God. It is breathed out by God. And so while we are curious to see how Peter writes and how Peter talks and what Peter's subject will be, you and I are to be hearing that this is the Word of God. 
And so we will listen like we've never listened before. We will commit ourselves like we've never committed ourselves before. Because I want to know what God is saying and what He is about. There were only 12 apostles. Only 12. You know, when we think about what it means to make a difference in the world and to impact people, mentorship or discipleship or investing in people is a complex subject. How many people actually can you impact their lives? How many? Can one person take 500 and pour into them and see those 500 become just like them? Can you reproduce yourself to 500? I think not. That's a tough subject. How many can you? Jesus, the best man who's ever lived, God Himself, only started with 12. That's something for us to think about. If you're right now running around trying to make a difference in a hundred different people's lives, but you're frustrated because you're not making a difference hardly in anybody's life, maybe it's because you're trying to do too much with too many. Jesus Himself only chose 12. And of those 12, Peter is one, an apostle of Jesus. The apostles are those that Jesus called out. It literally means called out one. It literally means one sent. God chose them, called them out to be His disciples, apostles, and then sent them out to go and reach the world. Jesus knew that with His game plan, His strategy, if He did what He was supposed to do from God with twelve, it would be enough to change the world. It is absolutely remarkable. If we didn't have this for our, uh, to, to teach us, and I was to ask you all, hey, we need to get a message to 7 billion people. We need to get a message that is life-changing to 7 billion people on the world. If I was to ask y'all how we're going to do it, we would not be thinking, okay, we only need 12. We would not. But Jesus' thought is, give me just a few. Let me pour into them day and night, nonstop, for three years straight. Let me give my whole life to them. Let them know everything about me. The way I sleep, the way I eat, the way I fast, the way I talk, the way I deal with people, the way I handle sin, the way I handle adversity. Let me show them everything that they need to know about God. And once those 12 get that, they'll be able to go out and do it. Peter is one of those 12. You know, one of those 12 was Judas who betrayed Jesus. So now we're down to 11. When the book of Acts starts, they, the church decides we need to choose one more. They choose Matthias. And so now they're back to 12. And then later on in the book of Acts, God calls one more, Paul, Saul, Paul. And so we have 13. 14, if you count Judas who fell away, betrayed him. These are the apostles. This is what the entire church, the entire New Testament is built on. The teaching of Jesus as carried on through the apostles. This is Peter. And he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Christ. When you and I come to 1 Peter, we want to know that this is the truth of the Word of God. Jesus says in John chapter 8, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you feel like you're not free, if you feel like life is bondage, if you feel like my, my sinful life has me trapped or captivated or in a prison or miserable or upset or I'm not free, would you be open to knowing that you need to hear and believe the truth of the Word of God? Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus later prays in John chapter 17, God, Father, will you sanctify your people in the truth? Your Word is the truth. Jesus' prayer for His people is for God to make them more like God through the truth of the Word of God. This week, I have been spending a lot of time in Psalm 1. 
in which it says the blessed man, the happy man, is like a tree. He is like a tree. Why? A tree that has its roots near the water. A tree that yields its fruit in its season. A tree whose leaf is not withering. A tree that in all that it does, it prospers. Why? Because he is a man who delights himself in the Word of God. And on his Word, he meditates day and night. This is what the Bible teaches. That the answer to life and the freedom that comes in life is when you and I come to see the value and glory of Jesus Christ according to the truth of the Bible. Christianity will continue to be shallow and not making a difference in your life if you have separated from the truth of the Word of God. But when your faith in Christ becomes in tune with what God is saying through His Word, you will feel like a man who has been set free. You will feel like somebody who has found a treasure and I cannot get over it. When I found this quote from Jim Elliott, I loved it. Listen to what Jim Elliott, who just this week we celebrated 50-some years of him being martyred on the, on the coast of the Amazon River in Ecuador, speared to death by Indians, tribal Indians, because he was trying to take them the Word of God. I love this quote from Jim Elliott. And as a young boy who has had, or not a young boy anymore, as a boy who used to be a young boy who has had all types of great experiences in my life, I love this quote. Jim Elliott says, I have found that the most extravagant dreams of boyhood have not surpassed the great experience of being in the will of God. Folks, I have been blessed with a good life. I've been able to do all types of fun things. My life has been filled with memory and moment on top of one another, lots of them. But I totally agree with Jim Elliott that there is nothing that comes close to touching the joy and the thrill and the excitement and the purpose and the fulfillment of knowing God and what He's like and that His life is being lived out through my life. That's what life's about. Yesterday I had one of the greatest moments I've ever had in parenting. JJ and Eli are now teammates on the same basketball team, and I'm getting to be the coach, and it was awesome. They had their first game yesterday. Neither one of them scored, but they won the game 18-14, to and they're making progress, and it was awesome. And I came home telling Val that I think this is one of the most happy moments that I have ever had in life. Basketball is my favorite sport. Now they're playing basketball, and they're loving basketball, and I'm excited about it. But what is even more exciting to me, honestly and truthfully, is when I'm also involved in connecting them to the truth of the Word of God. Because we will not be able to play basketball together forever. But we will be with God forever if we understand what He says. How foolish of a father I would be if I built our lives up wholly on basketball and not on God. I preached a funeral this week. The nephew of our Miss Pat Dennis was driving down I-65 this week and somebody's car had died right up here by Fern Valley. And so they abandoned their car in the middle of the five lanes on I-65 at Fern Valley. And it was nighttime. It was late. It was dark. And the car was completely Dead. No flashers, no brake lights, nothing. A dark, abandoned car on I-65. And the 35-year-old dad of two husband didn't see it. Drove straight into the back of it and died. Folks, 
the only, the only comfort that there might be in a situation like that for him or for his family is that God is real and that he could be in heaven. There would be no comfort other than that. I'm asking you here today as we start the book of 1 Peter that you would commit yourself to saying, I want my life to be about God. Peter speaks to us. Then he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing a letter to people who he calls elect exiles who are dispersed, in other words, spread out in all these areas, these regions that are surrounding. What he means by elect exiles is that he's writing to Christians. Christians are those who have been chosen by God. The Bible says that. The Bible says that we're not able to save ourselves. God must do that. One commentator says that the letter is addressed to the elect. And what it really means is strangers. So what it means is elect strangers or elect pilgrims. That's what it's referring to. It's referring to people who have been chosen by God. Jesus says that you did not choose me, I chose you. Jesus says that Unless the Father draws you, nobody can come to me. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to the people that God has saved by His grace. Ephesians chapter 2 says that God gives out believing faith as a gift. And Peter says he's writing to those people who have received that gift of salvation and who are believing. But he also calls them exiles. Meaning, they're not of this place. This is an amazing wording that you have here in the ESV, elect exiles. He's referring to Christians. He could have said, I'm writing to the believers who have been dispersed in these areas. But Peter, knowing that their hearts are hurting, that they are in the midst of the hardship and struggle of life, wants to give them a comfort that will comfort beyond anything else. And he reminds them that this earth that seems to leave us hanging, that seems to not be satisfying to us, it takes us close to being satisfied, but then it leaves us there not satisfied. That's how earth is. That's how life is. That's, ex- that's especially how Satan is in your life. He gets you thinking that this is about to satisfy you, and the next thing you know, you're hurting because it did not. And you find yourself longing for more, longing for other. And when you come to know Christ and become a believer in Him, you come to know that heaven is my home. And this is just a little bit. I love the words that Fernando Ortega sings in Give Me Jesus, one of my favorite songs. When he says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I am alone... Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I come to die... Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. The Bible is teaching us that when we come to know that we are God's and God is our Father, that we have a home in heaven that will be forever. And so earth becomes to us so temporary and so not satisfying that we begin to see it as a way to just be used by God because heaven is more important. Paul writes of this in Philippians 3 verse 20 when he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. Paul writes again in Ephesians when he says, You are no longer strangers and aliens to God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
In other words, what happens in the life of the believer is that we come from being people of this world to people who are not of this world. We come from being people who think this is absolutely it. This is all life's about here and now. And we come to know that it's not. It's about God. Mother Teresa, with just a fascinating quote, I heard, her, I heard that she said one time, that if it takes you more than 30 minutes to pack up all the stuff you have to get moving to wherever you're moving to, then you have too much stuff. Well, I think that's all of us. It would take us more than 30 minutes to pack up. But it's a brilliant thought about, listen, this earth is not what I should be setting everything up on. Jesus teaches this over and over again. And when Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering, who need hope, he says, he calls them elect exiles. Believers are exiles not because they are displaced from their homeland. Believers are exiles because they suffer for their faith in a world that finds their faith off-putting and strange. Let me read some more. God's election of them is what accounts for them being exiles. They are sojourners or aliens, if you will, because they are elected by God, because their citizenship is in heaven rather than on earth. I want to ask you here today, if you understand yourself to be somebody who God has done something inside of you, and now your heart cries out for Him. He's what you want. He's what you want your life to be about. He's what you love. Do you know yourself to be an elect exile? The Holman Christian Standard Bible, the black Bibles that are there in front of you, doesn't say elect exiles. I think it says temporary residence, which is the same mindset that God has saved us and we're not here. This is what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to be people that God has saved and changed. And now the world doesn't satisfy us. God does. You remember Jesus telling them that His kingdom is not of this world. Are you in the kingdom of God? As we get going with 1 Peter, we're learning from the Word of God. I ask you to evaluate. Does the Word of God come to you with power? And do you find yourself not at home here, longing for His Word? If you find yourself at home here, not wanting heaven not wanting eternity, not wanting uh, the forgiveness of sins, not longing for those things, would you admit that possibly you don't know God yet? Are you uncomfortable with being called an elect exile? A temporary resident of earth because heaven is our home? May it be that over the next few weeks and months, the Word of God through 1 Peter comes to us. We find ourselves more, more, more in tune with God. What He's saying and what He's doing in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Peter and his letter to us. God, thank You for the idea that there is hope and comfort for a persecuted people. God, thank You for the idea that we don't have to live falsely like this is all that life's cracked up to be. Thank You, God, that there's more. God, I pray that you would use the Word of God 
to change our hearts and to grow us toward You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.